Parable, fairy tale, myth, legend, chronicle, fable, folk tale. What am I going on about? It's a fair question. Hello there, my name's Ed Nell, and I'm just giving you different words for stories there. And you know, I love a story. And the point of this podcast and everything we do at the Media Insiders is to help you tell better stories about your business so you can connect with your audience and turn them into customers. What does that actually mean, though? It's basically anything you put out into the world, anything you put on social media, like a video shared on LinkedIn, how you communicate at a networking event, or how you interact with the media. Let's get into it then, and meet the first guest on episode one of Stories Create Business. My guest is Marsha Shanda, who lives in Canada, and is all about storytelling and persuasive communication training and coaching to help you and your team be unforgettable. Let's start then by talking about the power of a good story. Like I've learned so much about the, the science of storytelling. And one of the things that I've learned, which was always my suspicion, but it turns out it's true, is they put people into MRI machines and they looked at their brains when they're listening to stories. And so right now I'm telling you facts. And if we were to look at your brain, then the parts of your brain that would light up are called Broca's area and Wernicke's area. They are the data processing parts. And it makes me sound very fancy when I say those Doesn't words. It? Yeah. <laughs> but if we looked at your brain when you were listening to a well-told story, the parts of your brain that would light up are the parts of your brain that would light up if the story was happening to you. So you... I tell you about smelling coffee, your olfactory cortex lights up. I tell you about grabbing a pen, your motor cortex lights up, specifically the part related to hand movement. And so by getting to listen to all these stories, I'm getting to have all these experiences that I would never get to have. And some of them like I never want to have, but I now know what it's like <laughs> to be wrongfully sent to prison for the weekend or to run face right. first into a brown bear and then get licked buy it for an hour <laughs> wow, and that's, it's so fun those are yeah pretty extreme experiences yeah. <laughs> to be part of so that's good I, I definitely want to talk more about the science behind storytelling because mm. what I find fascinating is that we all know those people who are just natural storytellers they don't even think about it but they deliver a story that you are there with them every second but Actually, once you kind of pull it apart, you're like, ah, there is those things that we can all kind of try and do. So I kind of want to I want to talk more about that in terms of the science that you would help impart with others so they can become better storytellers. Yes. Yeah. Before we get into that, and this is a very purposefully vague question. What makes a great story? What makes a great story is detail and emotion. So people often think that like too much detail is what makes a bad story. And although editing is important, um, really, I think the worst stories are the ones where there's no detail, no emotion in them. So if I were to say to you, oh, I went to the Arctic for three months and it was oh, I had such a good time and I saw three different kinds of wildlife and we had this wicked party one night and I met a really interesting scientist. You might be like, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> or right. if I said, so it's first thing in the morning, I step outside the front door and as the sun hits my face, I feel this excitement in the pit of my belly and I put my hand into my pocket. The money is there. This is going to happen. And that's a story about going to the corner shop and buying a can of Coke. <laughs> like it's not about, and, and the reason why those people who tell stories and any story is fascinating is because they are following the rules. Like this is one of the things that I find most exciting when I'm teaching is to tell people storytelling is a set of rules that 
anyone can follow. I have never had, in do, I've been doing this for seven years. I have never had anyone come to me who wants to tell a story and I've turned them away. Never. Because it's a set of rules. And we all know it's a set of rules because we all have those people in our life. And because we all have been stuck next to that person who we know did something interesting, but oh my gosh, when will they stop talking? Because the second, those last people aren't following the rules and anyone can. And so to tell a good story, it's really about... Um, zooming, zooming in and telling those little action scenes. So when you're telling a story, you're making a film inside someone's brain. So if you think about films, you have like voiceover scenes, so that disembodied voice from the future giving context or philosophy. Like you think of Morgan Freeman at the beginning of Shawshank saying, there must be a con like me in every prison in America. Um, you know, he's talking about like who he is and giving the context that's voiceover. Then there's montage. So that's like lots of scenes cut together with music. So Rocky training scene, Rocky training montage, romantic comedy, getting to know you montage, dirty dancing, learning the steps montage. And they do that so that we don't have to watch 17 hours of Jennifer Graham, Patrick Swayze practicing the steps. Although for the record, I would totally watch that <laughs> if it was available. Many would, um, sure, yeah. And then there's action scenes and action scene is everything is happening in real time from the perspective of one or a couple of the characters and most films are mostly made up of action scenes if you had a whole film that was voiceover that's an audiobook if you had a whole film that's montage like a super long music video but it's not a good film and so storytelling it's the same so you want to like create those scenes in people's brains and that's how people's brains light up and respond like the story's happening to them and the way that you do that is to ask yourself two questions over and over again and they are what did it look like and how did i feel Okay. So what did it look like? Is like anything sensory, you know, what did it look like? Like imagine there was a security camera in the middle of the, in the, in the corner of the room. Like how would you describe, you don't have to describe everything. Like when we tell a story, we don't say I walked in and there was a green lamp and there was a brown couch and there was someone wearing red shoes and blue socks. You just, it's just like, what do we need to know about this scene? You know, who's there? Um, but it also can be, what did it sound like or smell like or taste or like physically feel like? Um, and then how did you feel is the emotions. And the reason that's so important is because emotions are how we relate to any story. Because I, that lady who told me the story about running face first into the brown bear, like she could, I've, I've never run face first into a brown bear, but I know how it feels to be absolutely terrified. And so when she talks about that, I can relate to the story, you know, and it also like builds tension. If you said, I drove my car into my neighbor's fence and I might be like, okay. But if you said, I drove my car into my neighbor's fence and I was terrified, then you're like, Ooh, what's going to happen? Or I drove my car into my neighbor's fence and I was so excited. And you're like, uh, it's confusing. Yeah. Are you in love with the neighbor? Do yeah, you hate why? the neighbor and you're thrilled to damage their property? Like, and, and that draws us in. And that tension is something that we really, if, if it gets sold, if, if we have tension and release as humans, we love it. It releases uh, uh, oxytocin and dopamine in our brain, which makes us happy and makes us trust. So if you're ever telling stories because you want people to trust you, then that's really important. And, um, and so emotions are like everything in storytelling. And I think that's the number one mistake people make when they tell stories stories is if they don't tell you how you how they feel i think that's really interesting actually you say that because i certainly listened to a documentary uh recently about auschwitz uh which obviously is a horrific experience that anybody who survived those concentration camps has kind of gone through but the people telling the stories there was no emotion attached to it now whether that was because they can't go there again because it was so horrific or they've told the story so many times the emotion has been stripped away it was a factual story and as part of it you kind of almost feel that i can't 
be there. I can't visualize what it's like because I, I'm not feeling anything. Is, is that kind of what, what you mean when you talk about emotion? Yeah, yeah. And I think like, I mean, obviously, that's part of the thing that you have to be careful about. Even somebody asked me a question yesterday. And one of the like one of the, I would say an even bigger mistake than not putting emotion in is telling a story that you're not ready to tell. Yeah, like you have to have emotional distance from it. Because your audience, if that's, you know, speaking, and obviously, this is not like talking to your best friends. I mean, if you're doing it in a performative way, if you're doing it on stage, or if you're writing it, because you want public, uh, you want the public to read it, you have to have emotional distance, because your audience has to feel safe. And they won't if they think that you're about to have a breakdown um like i think you can be affected by your story but you don't want to be a friend of mine runs a storytelling show and one time she had a woman who was literally walking up to people in the front row going well do you think he's going to call me back do you think he's going to and everyone was like whoa see the feeling that you got when i said that exactly (laughs) so you don't ever want your audience to feel like that but i think you know and of course people are going to tell stories sometimes if the story has to be told, then they have to tell it in the way that like they can tell it. And sometimes you need to have that detachment, but it's interesting that you as a viewer that you're like, Oh, I know that the super horrific thing mm. happened, but it's hard to like find a way in. Yeah. And I think the other cool thing about emotions is that you can have people feel like a real connection about just a tiny little story. Like that story about me stepping outside to buy a can of pop. Yeah. Um, or, you know, if you tell a story, this is something when I'm working with corporates that I'm saying to leaders, like if you want to be relatable as a leader, like do you ever meet those people and they're just like everything in their life is perfect? Oh, yeah. Sure. And your response is just be like, F you. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and, it's, and I think it's because we feel insecure because we're like, well, maybe you are perfect. You're going to judge me because I'm not. <laughs> and so it's really hard to like people who never get anything wrong. Of course. And so as a leader or a manager, you want to be able to show that you're not a perfect robot because you want to be liked by your staff because they're going to get a lot more work done if they like you and they're going to roll with you know difficult changes. But also you want people to come to you when they make mistakes. You don't want them to be terrified of telling you. And you want them to come to you when they have new ideas and they they like to in order for them to be willing to try out new ideas you you need them to know it's okay to make mistakes because sometimes they will and so storytelling is this amazing way of showing that you're vulnerable without actually really having to be that vulnerable because you can just tell them a story about how you went to buy a coffee and you accidentally asked for a smarte instead of a latte and then you felt like an idiot but then barista drew a smiley face on the side of your coffee next your name and so then you felt better about it afterwards and that's like shows that you did something stupid there's tension and release in there but that doesn't make you any less of a good manager that you like flubbed a word and so that kind of shows that you're human and I think that's the other thing is like you have emotion you know there's a little emotional journey in there it's like oh I feel stupid and then it's like oh but the horror is to write a nice thing and so now I feel better and then again you have that like tension and release and so our brains have little hits of dopamine and oxytocin I see. So yeah, emotion's obviously a key part of really any story, like you were saying as well, just even that journey to the corner shop, which could be quite a mundane experience, but attaching emotion kind of really brings the listener into that. But also, I guess it's that thing as well. And, and when you were talking about it in terms of how a story can be overtold or undertold and you're not quite ready to tell it yet, it's getting that balance at the right point because you can be over-rehearsed, can't you? And it becomes almost robotic or you haven't really got it ready in your mind and it's all jumbled and you're skipping bits that actually are key parts and you're kind of almost bombing your own story so it's really hard to get that that balance isn't it 
Yeah, although I think, like, I think another big mistake people make is they don't practice their stories. Like, I was speaking to someone recently, and um, they were a client, and they were like, they were, it was a new client, it's like, I want to get better at storytelling. And they, they happened to have been in a workshop with a friend of mine who's also a storytelling teacher. And they were like, oh, but you know, Erin, she just sits down and she just, like, tells a story off the top of her head. And I was like, okay, she's one of my best friends, so I can throw her under the bus. If you think people like Erin and I don't practice our stories, we learn at a very young age that when we tell a story and everyone listens we feel like we're inherently lovable and so we walk around practicing like as soon as something happens to me I immediately start rehearsing the story in my head immediately just walking around I immediately start like oh how would I tell this how would I tell this so by the time I've actually told it someone it looks like oh this thing just happened to Marsha and she just told this perfect story but actually I practiced it three or four times in my head and I think also if you're going to tell the story out loud practice it out loud to an empty room is fine because often things in our head are actually quite different when we say them out loud and so I think it's totally fine to practice and I think in terms of it being over or under rehearsed I don't know. I think that's a hard thing for me because I feel like this is part of like, you know, this from being on radio that we, we, we practice learning how to say something like it just oh, yeah. occurred to us, even yeah, though we've said it five, that it's yeah. so annoying for our partners and our friends. Cause they're like, oh. uh, the, the bit where you pretend to forget what happened next. And then you <laughs> remember. You know? Yeah. I've seen you tell this story 25 <laughs> times. I Here's that bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But so I think it's almost like practicing, rehearsing, you know, rehearsing and then like practicing telling it and, and, and adding, Adding in some of those, like, oh, let me just stop and pretend that to pretend to try and think about what the next bit is, even though I know exactly what it is. So let's move on to the science. And you mentioned that there are there are rules. There are rules when it comes mm. to storytelling. And and I think probably if you talk and think about stories a lot, you may have different different rules. I know certainly my radio background, which might be similar to yours in terms of what you've learned about storytelling, has particular rules that I kind of have got really used to following and they've served me very well. Uh, so it'd be interesting to hear how you see it and what your rules are for storytelling. Yeah, I want to hear what yours are. Well, so that's what, that, when, I tell, when people ask how I got into this, I always tell them that I was the person telling the stories that were like 45 minutes long and all my friends were going, oh my gosh, can you please... Just get to the I'm Russian and like Eastern European, it's our culture. You know, I call my mom and she doesn't say, hi, darling, how are you? She says, so there I was in Paris. My train's about to leave in two minutes. And then on radio, I, I had to learn to edit down a bit. And then we had this boss at XFM once who came in and I'm not going to name him because <laughs> it's, it was the higher ups that were like imparting this on him. Okay. But suddenly they were saying, okay, in between, because we used to like ramble on for like two or three minutes. Oh. And then suddenly he was saying, okay, you have 30 seconds and you're going to use this jingle that has a stab at the top and a stab at the end, which if you haven't worked in radio, that means like a little jingle of the station. And so you literally have 30 seconds. Right. And then, and so I had to cut my stories from, you know, 30 minutes or three minutes down to 30 seconds. Cause after 30 seconds, the jingle kicks in and you have yeah. to stop talking because someone else's. And so that was where I learned how to edit down. And I remember being taught this by my mentors of like, you know, plan out what you want to say and then cut half of it. And in literature, they call it murdering your darlings because sometimes you're like, but that bit's really good. <laughs> but if the jingle's going to kick in, you literally cannot have yeah, everything. In there. So you have to get rid of something. And so it's about like, what can I cut out? But also like, how am I going to get the most bang for my buck within that 30 seconds so say you want to describe someone and you want to say that they're a bit of a dirtbag and I say that with affection because I myself am somewhat of a dirtbag and so you might you know you might you say they had like a rip their their back their uh, rucksack strap was ripped and they have a coffee stain down their front and their jeans are torn and their shoes are scuffed 
left. So you only have 30 seconds. So you're going to cut, you can't have all of those four details. So it's like, okay, what are we going to cut? And then you look and think, well, which of those four most gets across the dirtbaggery? Like the coffee stain could have just happened. The ripped jeans could be fashion. So scuffed shoes, a lot of people have scuffed shoes. So let's go with a ripped backpack strap. And so that's what you put in. So it's always like, how do I say this in the most powerful way and generally like one of the things that really surprised me at xfm when we had that boss come in was that when i started to edit things down the engagement from the listeners shot up because suddenly and actually everybody all the other presenters were complaining and i was like guys this is gonna make us ninjas because once that that management moved out we had different management every single word counted there was no waffle. You weren't saying, you know, how when you're talking to someone and sometimes they say the same thing in like a slightly different way that they just sure. said, so you kind of tune out, but nobody tunes out because everybody's listening to every single word that you say. Mm. And so it m- makes people much more engaged in what you're saying. When I'm working on copy with people on, on like website copy, you know, if we're working on like sales copy or blogs or whatever, I always say you want to, or even like in their talk, I always say you want to imagine every word costs $20 or 20 pounds. Okay. So you always want to see where can I say if, you know, 40 imaginary pounds and sometimes you have a few words and you're like well you don't really need that you know you're saying what i well i think blah 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 and it's like well we know you think it because you're saying it so let's take out i think we've just saved 40 imaginary pounds <laughs> I, lo- I like that so uh, i guess that's kind of you've got to think of your audience i suppose is that is that what you're kind of alluding to because i mean you could probably tell a story to different groups of people but you would probably tell it in different ways to each group i guess really as well wouldn't you yeah, totally. I think on the one hand, it's in terms of length, because people often say, like, what's the length of a good story? And I think, well, if you're sitting with your best friend, having a glass of wine, 45 minutes works well. If you're on music radio, and nobody cares about you talking, one minute max, you know, maybe unless you're unless you're like a known radio personality, and you can get away with doing a few more minutes. And um and then the other thing is I always ask people in front of the story is like, why are you telling the story and what do you want people to do as a result? And sometimes you're telling it because you want them to think they're co- that you're cool. That's a totally valid reason. Yeah. But think about it in advance because that will also help you edit the story. You know, sometimes you're telling a story because you want to get a certain point across. And so you want to think, well, which bits do I need to get that point across and which bits don't I need? Sometimes you're telling a story because you want someone to think you're cool. So when I'm working with speakers, often they might want people in the audience to hire them. Mm. I did. So I, here's a good example. I did a talk recently at this conference uh, called world domination summit. That's like one of the biggest conferences in my industry. And what I wanted to get out of that talk was I wanted people to think I was cool. I wanted people to like <laughs> sign up to my list, but I also knew that there was potential speaker clients in the audience. So I started with this story about my daydream of how I imagined the talk was going to go with, ended up with like me being crowd surfed out of the auditorium. And I picked that story because I knew, that probably three quarters of that audience had had that same daydream. So I knew like they would relate to it and it could make them laugh. And, and then I said, and, and so in the daydream, you know, I say, I walk on stage and from the first word, all of you are just crying and everyone laughed. And then I said, I'm a storytelling and speaker coach. So tears are one of my metrics. And everyone laughed like it was a joke, but that was a pure advertisement for my services. <laughs> and so, and whenever I'm working with speakers, I always say, what do you want to get out of this in terms of making the world a better place? You know, we make sure we think about that, but also what do you want to get out of this in terms of money or glory to you? And how do we insert tiny little advertisements for you? And so maybe you're telling a story because you want people to know 
that you're like a kind empathetic person. So take out the bit where you were kind of a crappy person to someone. Sure. Like let's leave that bit out. Yeah. Even yeah. if you were in a bad mood and it was justified and they'd just been crappy to you, like let's leave that out. You know, or similarly, like sometimes something might have happened that sounds like you're being you know, homophobic or misogynist or racist or whatever, but actually it really happened. But like, no one's going to know the context. So let's just take that out. Mm. Or sometimes like you're, you're taking, you're keeping the emotional truth, but like, say you had a conversation, like you had a conversation with this person on this day, they said this thing. And then on a different day, they said this other thing, but for the sake of keeping people engaged in your story, you just pretend they both happened at the same time. And unless that person's in the back of the room and going to be like, um, actually, Ed, that was two different conversations, which most people aren't, <laughs> sure. it's okay to like mush them together. I think when you're telling a story to a group of people, it's a performance. And so it's okay to edit the story and, you know, as long as the emotional truth is the same. Or sometimes you don't want to throw someone under the bus, you know, sometimes you need to tell a story, but you don't, you know, it's, it's someone who's still in your life and you don't want to. And so you can like change some of the like logistical truth, but keep the emotional truth to get your point across. So it sounds like obviously we start with emotion. That's cropped up quite a few times. That's obviously Mm -hmm. a key part of any story, but also purpose. Purpose is a big thing as well. And I guess that relates to who you're talking to and how you talk to them, because yeah, like you say, purpose in terms of what you want those people to get from this story, whether it's, to think you're cool, which I think we all kind of want a little bit, don't yeah. we? Uh, <laughs> which is probably main, most people's purpose of telling a story, which is, yeah. which is fine. Uh, are there any other kind of key elements that you would go, your, your story to be truly compelling, you've got to include this? Yes. Okay, two things. So one is the other big mistake people make is throwing in spoilers. Like, you know how annoying it is when you're, when you're watching a show and then somebody goes on Facebook and is like, oh, I can't believe such and such died. And you're like, no. Yeah. But people often do that with their stories. They often think, oh, well, if I say the most exciting part first, then everyone will keep listening. But actually what happens is it breaks that tension and we stop caring about the story. So, you know, if you say, well, at this point, I didn't realize that they'd given the job to Yusuf, then we stop caring about that job interview because we're like eh, you're not going to get the job anyway. yeah, and, we, yeah. and we zone out so I always think that you should tell stories in the chronological order that they happen to you like one of the things that the brain that I always suspected but the brain science backs up is that really what you're trying to do when you're telling a story is you're trying to elicit a freaky Friday style body swap between the person listening to the story and you in that moment so if you say, of course, at this point, I didn't realize I was about to walk into my own surprise birthday party. Don't say that because you didn't realize it. Like only tell us what you knew at the time. But the one time you can mess with the chronology, this is the second thing is right at the beginning. Um, and this is like, yeah, so this is like for performative stories rather than just like when you're chatting to someone you've just met. But you want to always start right in the middle of the action scene. And the reason you want to do that is because context by its nature is voiceover and montage because you've got to cover a lot of ground. And so if you say, you know, I, I, my sister and I used to get along as kids, but then we kind of, you know, fell out a bit as teenagers and then we hadn't spoken and people are like, oh, already. <laughs> um, so if instead you start right in the action scene, you say, I'm sitting, out, sitting in the car outside my sister's house and I'm terrified. And then you give context, which usually we need way less context than we think we do. You're just thinking, what do they have to know to understand? So then you might say, my sister and I got along as kids, but we hadn't spoken for seven years. And now I was about to walk into a family reunion and I had no idea how it was going to go. So I get out of the car, then you come back into the action scene. So that's one time I think it's okay to mess with the chronology. And what you want to do 
it's, it's kind of like a film. Like generally films don't start with like, this is blah, blah. He is blah, blah years old. You no, know, he is, goes to blah, blah school. They start like in the middle of the car chase and then you figure out what's happening afterwards because they want to pull you right in. Because the beginning of your story, the first 30 seconds is the point where people decide, am I going to listen or am I just going to make my face look like I'm listening while I'm thinking about what time I'm going to get home this afternoon? You know, same with the reading, but they click away. And so what you want to do, and you're going to love this because this is totally a thing I learned from radio. Um, you know how we would hook through the ad break? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So any, if you're listening and you don't know, if you didn't work in radio, mm-hmm. hooking through the ad break is like, sometimes it's just saying, coming up after the break, red hot chili peppers. But sometimes it's like mystery hook. So oh, you say, yeah. coming up after the break, new one from the chili peppers. Are they even making music anymore? You can tell how I don't they. know if they are. <laughs> no, <yeah. laughs> coming up after the break, new one from home, um, and a song that... You don't think it's a love song, but listen to the lyrics. It is a love song. That's going to be next on XFM. That's good tease. Good tease. Good That would be the, the whole 80-20, wouldn't it? they go, that's the 80-20 rule of teasing. And it's kind of right. throwing in. The, it's enough. throwing in. And so what you're doing there is you're creating an information gap. And as humans, we hate an information gap. That's the reason why those BuzzFeed headlines that say 20 weird things dogs did, you'll never believe, number three, they still work on us. It's the reason why you know when you have to be up in the morning, but Netflix is counting down. You're like, I'm just going to watch until the credits on the next show because you want to close that information gap. And so what you want to do when you start your story is you want to create an information gap because that will take them through the context. And so sometimes a story will present itself with an information gap very easily. So I worked with a storyteller recently and the beginning of her story was she says I'm sitting watching TV with my family my mum and my dad and my brother are on the couch with popcorn but I have no popcorn and instead I'm wearing a full space suit and I'm sat by the fire so then you're like okay what is happening yeah, what is going on there but most stories the beginning of the action is kind of boring so what you do is go back to those two questions I mentioned earlier what does it look like how did I feel tell us what it looks like like where are you what's happening mm-hmm. tell us how you feel but don't tell us why you feel that way okay. like even with that story of me standing on the front step you know with the money's in my pocket it's going to happen and then you're like, oh, what's going to happen? And that draws you in and then you'll keep listening because you want to know what's going to happen because you want to close that information gap. And it sets off all, it's like that tension which sets off dopamine and oxytocin in your brain. And dopamine, as well as making you feel good, is a memory aid and it helps with information processing. So you're priming their brains for learning. So if you're ever teaching anything, start with a story to prime their brains. Um, And when you have that tension, it also creates what's called transference, which is the thing where we feel like the story's happening to us. I love this science. This is so good. I'm, get, I'm really getting into this. I'm like, oh, she's like all these big words and everything. Yeah, I know, I know. I sound so fancy and I love it. It's great. Whereas, it, I mean, my, my story rules are very basic, but I think you've kind of alluded to those in terms of like, again, it's a radio background from a, from a radio consultant, uh, Dan O'Day. Uh, and it's very much like trigger leading at the start of your story. What is your trigger leading? How are you going to hook in that lister? And like you say, you know, it's that whole intrigue of, you've given me a little bit of what the meat of the story is about, but not enough. And I'm confused and I want to know the rest. I have to know it. And then you've got that dazzling detail in the, in the middle, which is sort of that theater of the mind, adding the color, all those exciting little bits of language that evoke emotions in whoever's listening. And then finally you've got your power out and it could well be the same point as the trigger leading. And it's just kind of finishing that story. And it's that thing that you want to leave the listener with where they walk away from it going, Oh my God, I'm going to remember that story because of this forever 
and, and, and that's your story, I guess. But you've just summed it up beautifully, I think. So that's good. Yeah. And one of the other things I learned in radio really early on was that when you conjure um, visual images in people's brains, then they, they're kind of bonded to you. You know, that was one of the things I, learned. I remember on my, on my tape for somebody recently sent me, said, I just found this on my computer. And it was my entry for Best Female DJ at the Student Radio Awards. Oh, wow. 1999. Hello. Oh, <laughs> 21 years ago. And uh, last millennium. And, um, and, I rem- and it was so interesting listening to it because I was like, oh, I remember it. And one of the things was, I was talking about this Travis song. Hello, late 90s. And I was saying, oh, when they recorded this song, they really wanted it to sound like it was uh, recorded in the back of a car. So they tried driving around everywhere and recording it, but it didn't work. So in the end, they just added the car sound. Okay. But I remember like one of the comments from one of my mentors was like, every time I hear that song now, I think about them in a car. And so I think of you. And so I think of your radio station. Yes. And that's why it's so important. And so they say that our brains can um, process visual images up to 600,000 times faster than than just plain words. And so when you create a visual image, you're kind of doing that and you're activating all these totally different parts of the brain. And so that's why we remember things so much better. And as you know, when we evolved, we evolved with these visual memories, like either to go out and shoot things on the planes or pick which berry is going to feed my family, which berry is going to harm me. And so we have visual memories. And so when you tell a story, you're creating visual images and it's so much more exciting and engaging. And even like when you're explaining a concept, that's another thing that I talk to organizations about is the story doesn't have to be a true story that happened you could say rather than saying this software is developed to help you know blah 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 do this thing whatever you can say okay you know when you sit down at your computer and you're trying to find a file but you've forgotten the name of it and then you're just searching and you're there for hours and you find all these other files that you don't even want and it's so annoying imagine if you just sat down and you said computer what's the file with blah blah and it just appeared and you'd feel so happy and it's like taking them on this emotional journey because you're like oh frustration and then also people see themselves and they're like i do sit at my computer and do it that way you know or when i use it with people when they're when they're selling to an audience if you tell a story about a time you might not have had the exact experience that your client has but if you tell a story about a time that they can relate to you that you know again if you have that emotion in there then they're like oh this person totally gets me and they're not going to shame me when I tell them what my problem is they're not going to be like oh you can't do that what's wrong with you because either they or their client whoever you're telling the story about has been in that position and you can tell stories about um like what my one of my mentors Jonathan Fields calls pacing the pacing the imagined future where you can tell a story about a time when you know when that's what, you know, you sat down at your computer and everything felt smooth and easy and you got work and you didn't get distracted by Twitter. And then you got to the end of the day and you felt super accomplished. And then the money started rolling in and people, are, and people will see themselves in your story mm. and be like, Oh, that's a thing that I want. So it's that kind of me too moment. It's creating that sort of connection, isn't it? By going, yeah, I'm in there. Oh, I felt like that. That's great. And again, I suppose that comes back to emotion, doesn't it as well? And creating those emotions. Yeah. And creating those emotions so we can relate to. And that's one of my like favorite things about storytelling is that when somebody tells a story and you see yourself in it, and especially if it's about something not super great, then you're telling that person you are not alone. You're telling them you're not the only person who has ever been through this. And when you tell someone, so for example, I just ran a course on how to write a sales page that doesn't make you want to throw up or cry. Because a lot of people in my audience feel like, oh, gross, 
first sales. Sure. And, um, and I told the story about when, <laughs> so when I had graduated from university, I was still working once a week at the radio station, but it wasn't enough money. And so I don't know if you ever met my friend, Ian Merricks, who was very involved in I student radio. So. So, no. He, God love him, gave me a job doing sales for the student planner. He was doing it. It's him and Martin Dallahan, who used to be chair of the SRA, <laughs> were doing the student planner. And I had never sold anything in my life. And my job was to just go through the yellow pages and cold call people. So again, I set up like the, the action scene. I said, you know, I'm, and, and again, the, I said, you know, I'm sitting at this, sitting at this table in my apartment, looking out the window. Um, and I feel sick. And so straight away, you're like, ooh. And then I say, you know, in front of me on the left, there is the yellow pages open. Uh, on the right, there's a pad where I've written out my script. And in front of me is the phone. And then I go on to talk about, you know, I, I, blah, 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 I got this job in sales. And basically I taught, I, I described making the first call and like how I felt sick and how terrified I was and how I'm reading the script. And, and, I, and then I go on to like voiceover montage and say, uh, you know, I needed this job. My friend gave it to me and I cried every single day for two weeks and then I quit and I swore I would never sell anything as long as I lived. Mm-hmm. So I tell that story partly to like prime their brains for learning, partly to hook them in, but also to say, if you hate sales, if it feels gross and icky to you, I'm not going to just come on and be like, what? Just do it. It's easy. Just make some phone calls. No problem. Like I'm going to come on and say, I totally get it. I have been where you've been. I'm going to show you how to do it in a way that doesn't make you want to cry or be sick. And nice. so you're showing them. And when you say to someone, you are not alone, you're telling them that they belong. And we crave belonging more than anything else as humans, more than happiness. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's like shelter and food and then belonging. And so you're saying to them, you belong not when you fixed yourself, but you belong where you are right now. And that's incredibly powerful. Three, two, one, if you want to find out more about Marsha, have a look at her website, yesyesmarsha.com. Oh, and by the way, do you hear my kids? chirping away in the background there that was recorded back in 2020 i was in my kitchen marsha was on zoom over in canada and i just kind of want to demonstrate from that that you don't have to be super slick when you're telling a story or creating content i kind of want it just to be as accessible as possible you don't need to spend loads of money on the equipment as long as you've thought about how you're going to present the content if at the moment you're thinking where do i start how do i get going with this let's have a chat you can find out more about me at themediainsiders.co.uk and why not email? Let's start a conversation. You can email ed at themediainsiders.co.uk and we'll take it from there. Money.